hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. No. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zack. Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> oh, right. Hello there, and welcome to episode 334 of The Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice. Of Young Adult Cancer, I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year Young Adult Cancer survivor broadcasting right now from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest support network for young adults affected by cancer, online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners Never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and BlogTalk Radio. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. On this show, season 16 broadcast premiere... With the lovely and talented Italia Ricci, returning champion to the Stupid Cancer Show star of the hit ABC Family series Chasing Life, will be talking about the return of Chasing Life and uh, laying odds and what she'll hit 100,000 Instagram followers. Uh, Savara Spotlight on CancerCon steering committee member uh, Jen Ficus. Really exciting stuff. And with that, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How you doing? Welcome Mallory Rivera, Sean Shapiro. Hello. Hello. Happy New Year. Yes. Happy New Year. And it's been a while. Just a little <laughs> bit of time. I know. There's been a whole new year that's taken place. That's right. You believe it's right. been 15 years since Y2K? What? Is that like I2Y? Yes. <laughs> yes. The Y2K Cancer Foundation. Now, I know, I don't exactly know what Mallory and Kenny did on there, but you like had this epic, like, Base jumping like a trip um, to, to Vancouver or something. <laughs> yeah, I went on a family vacation to Seattle, then Vancouver, and then Whistler Blackcomb, which is the largest ski area in North America. And what was that like? It was good. I've been wanting to go there for a long time, so uh, just spent two days on the mountain. Had you been there before? No. So First this time. is just by yourself? No, I was with uh, my mom. My my sister was supposed to go with her husband, but she. Uh, Got caught at work. She was out on a retreat and then... But you didn't really get dropped off by a helicopter. Oh, no, no. 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 
That's pretty crazy stuff. <laughs> All right. That's you, for next time. You did go like through one of those point of no return, skate your own risk kind of things, though, right? Oh, yeah. There was an avalanche area. It was the uh, Blackcomb Glacier, which is technically um, a little off uh, the, the normal ski area map. Right. And so there was a moderate avalanche warning at the time that I skied it. Yeah. Top 10 things I will not be doing is skiing near avalanche <laughs> right, warnings. Right. It's like, exactly. it's like being actively mauled by a bear. <laughs> you have a slight chance of being mauled. Yeah, right, exactly. Too much risk. So, Mal, what did you uh, take care of this winter? Uh, you know, I got to ring in the new year with uh, Sir Elton John. So, that's right. That's yes. right. You were Instagramming live from the garden. I was not. Oh, no. Barclay Center. Barclay. That's right. Yeah. So I got to ring in the new year with uh, Sir Elton. Uh, but beyond that, just kind of hanging out in Brooklyn. Good for you. Yeah. And, Kenny, fun. you had a nice trip to uh, Austin, right? Yeah, so I uh, had a pretty minor New Year's Eve. Uh, we had a 6 a.m. flight, so I was pretty low-key, and then I, I tried to go to sleep around 10. I just kind of looked at the ceiling for a while, and then, like Mr. Bean, if you've ever seen the Mr. Bean New Year's Eve episode around midnight, I heard the firework, fireworks go off. And that's when you knew. I knew it was midnight, and I also was wide awake for, like, another two hours after that. So I probably should have just gone somewhere and done something. Right. Oh, well. Well, my my New Year's Eve was pretty subdued. Um, nothing really much happened. The children were asleep, thankfully. Um, Jess and I went to sleep, thankfully. We woke up at, like, 10 to midnight for whatever reason. And we watched Ryan Seacrest and Adele Nazim. Uh, <laughs> uh, she did a great job. Um, not to get all crazy pop culture but Miley Cyrus in like a bikini singing what's up with the girl a lot yeah okay that's all I want to touch on that's it Miley Cyrus in a bikini singing on your Eve. did she look like a turkey again it was crazy anyway I digress but I do want to give a special uh, shout out to my dad uh, who is recovering at home from a bypass uh, he just went through a lot of crap and everyone loves him and he's going to be amazing even more amazing than before so to uh, Lou Strong was the hashtag over the last yes. couple of days, and uh, he's he's great. He's gonna be fine. And uh, super props, the man, the myth, the legend, Lou Greenswag, my dad. So kudos to him. Uh, anything else? Go oh, CancerCon. We're gonna do a quick uh, blurb about that during the news. But it is uh, revved up again. CancerCon, our annual conference uh, coming this April in Denver. CancerCon.org. Uh, be sure to check it out. Register. We're expecting five hundred. Uh, caregivers and young adult survivors and patients uh, at descending to the Sheraton Down Hotel. And um, some really great uh, speakers. We have Ethan Zahn, uh, who's uh, going to be sort of kicking ass and taking names on a, what's it, sexual health or something like relationships. Really big stuff. I'm really it's going to be good. It's interesting when I keep getting the inquiries about when is OMG 2015. I know. And I have to break people's hearts and say <laughs> it's no longer called the OMG Summit. Well, it is. It's just not a national summit. Right. OMG East, OMG West coming this fall. But anyway, that's... Uh, yes, Sean. Updates. Uh, this is really exciting. We uh, are currently almost at $26,000 raised by our VIP club. Um, which and is what is the VIP club? The VIP club. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's 50% of our goal. So we're super excited about that. We're well on our way. Uh, but the VIP Club is a fantastic way to uh, support the young adult cancer community, all while uh, earning rewards, um, including your registration, flight, and hotel covered to join us um, at CancerCon. Um, so check out cancercon.org 
you'll see the VIP club section and you can learn more about it. Pretty awesome stuff. All right, well, uh, let's kick off the show with our first guest. Jen Fickus was diagnosed a little over two years ago and just after her 37th birthday with triple negative invasive ductal carcinoma. We'll learn more about that. She has since become a fierce advocate with an incredible journey, and she joins us now to share her story. Welcome, Jen. Hello. Hello, thank you. Thank you for joining us all the way from uh, Colorado. Yeah, happy to be here. The Rocky Mountains. How you doing? Good stuff. Um, I'm, I'm, I feel bad that we never actually had you on the show. You've been so involved for so long, and, and your story, I mean, it's not really a contest. Your story is pretty incredible. And, uh, I mean, this show is all about young adult cancer, and we always have every show, 334 shows, every show has a young adult story kicking it off, and yours is no exception. Um, I'd love to just start with your life. Uh, let's just go with the spring of 2012 before everything dropped. So I was married and had um, two kids. I had a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, and we found my cancer um, when I went for just a yearly um, exam. And when they did the breast exam, um, she just kind of stayed on one spot. And it was really kind of a painful spot. And I joked and I was like, is there something there? And she's like, yeah. And um, since it was right on the chest wall, you could only feel it when I was laying down. So I had been doing exams, but I was pretty surprised that I missed something because I didn't realize that your body position kind of dictates what you can feel. So um, I have told people since then it's important to move around and need your breast exams. <laughs> um, but um, I went kind of through the normal, had a biopsy and um, mammogram for the first time in my life. And um, we found a two centimeter tumor um, and I signed up for a trial um, for triple negative um, breast cancer and started getting chemo every week about two weeks after my diagnosis. And uh, all right. So I, I want to just go back to that holiday. You didn't know which direction to face to feel your, you know, own, you yeah. know, what was that about? Um, well, I've had, so since my tumor was so deep, um, I had to be laying down and kind of, I was pretty well endowed before my surgeries. Um, so kind of, I guess, just to move some tissue out of the way so that I could feel deep enough for the chest wall. Um, and then I've had people since that are survivors that have told me they could only feel theirs when they were actually bending over. Um, so, you know, definitely do breast exams, but it's surprising how much, um, it changes when you move your body position. So let's then take that journey. You went from like, really what's going on to what is invasive ductal carcinoma? Oh yeah. Dr. Uh, Google was probably very, uh, very good to you. Yeah, I had no idea. And, um, you know, I did a little bit of reading, um, between the time of having an ultrasound and a mammogram and having the biopsy. So I knew, that there were different kinds of breast cancer. Like I didn't even know that before all this. And um, so I knew enough to ask when I got the diagnosis what kind it was. Um, but there's a lot of different varieties of breast cancer and far more than I even realized in the beginning. Um, I knew enough with my reading. I knew I didn't want to have triple negative, but of course that's what I had. Um, and for those of us and, listening, triple negative okay. is a genetic 
version of the disease, correct? It is. I don't actually carry a BRCA gene, um, but I just went in and had 28 more genes tested because I have um, a wide variety of cancer in my family, but I don't really have a strong breast cancer link. Um, so the geneticist keeps telling me they, they're sure there's something, but they can't find it yet um, just because the genes most likely have not been identified for what I have. Um, so they just keep having me come in periodically and do more um, gene testing. Um, and I was surprised just in the two years that I had gone from my initial gene testing. I had the BRCA testing for one and two and then BART testing. Um, so that's kind of like the BRCA testing is kind of like if you're reading a book, there'll be like words out of order. And with the BART testing, the way it explained it to me was like a sentence would be out of order. Um, so it's just kind of a different thing they're looking for. Um, and I came back normal on all of those things. And then the testing that I just had, everything came back normal, too. So um, they told me they're going to be testing me again soon. I did read that they have identified another um, breast cancer gene for triple negative, so I'm going to try to get tested for that um, as soon as possible. All right, so you're 37, married with a 1-year-old and a 4-year-old, and you're given a breast cancer diagnosis. What do you tell your 4-year-old? Well, my four-year-old was going through a lot at that time, too. He was diagnosed with autism two days after I was diagnosed. Um, So it's kind of a a lot for him to swallow. Um, There are some books. We got, like, a a little kid book that was, uh, I think it's called Sammy's Mommy Has Cancer. Um, And we would read that. Um, And when I was first diagnosed, you know, they were telling me that I had a lot of options for surgery and um, I could get a lumpectomy. they saw because of my age and mastectomy was kind of extreme um and then to jump ahead a little bit i didn't respond to chemo so my cancer got a lot worse really fast so i ended up um, having to have a bilateral mastectomy um but we talked pretty early that you know i was sick and that where i was sick was something in my body and it was in my boobies and i was going to have to get my boobies cut off to make me better and even though that sounded scary um you know that i was going to be okay and that you know we kind of tried to prep him for surgery prep him for um i had 17 rounds of chemo so you know we knew that i'd be losing my hair and things like that um which the book touches on those things and kind of um you know it's written for little kids so (laughs) it's a it's a nice high level you know, mommy lost her hair, mommy had to have an operation, and then right, mommy's hair right, grew right. back, and everything was better. Um, which, you know, it's hard when you don't know if everything's going to get better um, to promise that. Of course. Um, but, you know, he seemed to take it pretty well. He had a hard time with that I was getting part of my body cut off. Um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and especially my younger, uh, my daughter was nursing at the time, so... You know, my boobs were around. <laughs> um, so it was, um, it was a little surprising, I think, to hear that, like, you could get a part of your body cut off and still be okay. Um, I think just even the basics of that were, you know, hard for him to comprehend. Um, but I just really focused that I was going to be better, you know, after I had this operation. And it would be hard for a little while and he would see me in the hospital and I probably wouldn't look so great but I was still me and everything was still fine and um, and we still do that I'm still having surgeries I had one two and a half weeks ago so we still talk about you know that 
kind of like Humpty Dumpty. They're putting me back together. And right. Sometimes I have to get operations, and that's okay. They're making me better. And um, I think it's scary for kids, but, you know, we've tried to be pretty open with them about what's going on. Right, and we hear and that a lot. my daughter, as she's getting older. Right. You know, we hear that a lot. This is fairly typical for young adult cancer. It's why it's a very different, any, not any more better or worse or special. It's just different. Talking right. to children, being a parent, getting diagnosed with cancer. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned in your bio here is you actually had a clinical trial, and that's pretty rare for young adults to be made aware of trials and to qualify and enroll in one and stay yeah. in one. So you're like, I don't know what the, the statistic is, but this, that is way out there in terms of odds. What was that like for you oh. to be in the trial? Um, the trial was good. I um, So I started, like, immediately when I got diagnosed, they brought up the trial, um, I think, the next day. Uh, because originally they were going to do surgery first. I think that's, uh, at least at the time I was in treatment, that was the classic treatment was you had surgery first and then you had chemo. Um, so I had met with the surgeons first. And then when I went and met with the oncologist, that was the first thing they brought up. And my surgeon was wonderful. And she actually called me as soon as I left because she knew when my appointment was with my oncologist and really said, I think you should do this. I know we talked about surgery, but I think this would be good for you. So um, well, my kudos to him. Very encouraging. Um, and I started treatments every week, and I would just meet with the um, trial um, team and give them all of my different um, symptoms and how treatment was going. And um, they met with me every week, and then they were seeing a lot of complete responses too on that trial, um, which and it was specifically for triple negative. Um, cancers, and I, I believe that it focused on younger patients as well, but um, they were seeing really good responses. So when we realized about 10 weeks in, um, I had to get more biopsies and everything to start the trial. And so when my scar tissue kind of got, went away enough that we could feel the tumor again, it was a lot bigger. And my plastic surgeon, when I went for a consultation, he actually walked across the room and, and just touched where the tumor was, and that was the first time I realized you could see it. Wow. So it, it had grown enough from my chest wall that you could see, you know, the lump where the tumor was, um, which that threw me for a loop. <laughs> um, but when we realized it wasn't working, then things, um, things got serious really quick. I was amazed at how many doctors got involved because I was on the trial all of the trial doctors got involved and then the team where I was getting treatment as well as the team at university um, and they told me even some other doctors were involved over the phone um, so there was a lot of um, help I guess for my case at that point um, you know it's just they, so it's incredible to hear the this level of academic clinical almost watchdogism around your care yeah um, where were you amazing. treated? Where were you treated, Jen? I was treated at Lutheran Hospital. Um, it's in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Okay. Can we talk about your mm -hmm. husband as far as caregiving and picking up the slack and survivor guilt and all these, you know, you've been involved. We're going to talk about your involvement with our conference over the last couple of years, but you've been yeah. privy to these needs that we're now serving and you benefited from them, but it, it's a major issue, caregiving and and the burden of the partner and the spouse. It is. It was actually a lot for us. Um, 
I would say, um, you know, my spouse was um, pretty overwhelmed, honestly, um, as much as I was. <laughs> um, but um, my parents lived about four miles away, and so they were really my main caregivers. Um, they would take turns watching the kids and taking me to treatments. Um, my husband mostly um, focused on work while I was sick, and um, we get along well. I don't want to bash him, but we <laughs> um, we did get a divorce <laughs> um, okay. right after everything um, kind of finished. I um, We had some pretty choice moments while I was pregnant. <laughs> um, but I think it's one of those things that, um, you know, you either kind of, are built for that or you're not and um you know he he was a little overwhelmed i think um he had a really hard time right from when i was diagnosed even um you know after my biopsy a few days after he was like because there was a lot of talk since i was nursing that it could be a clogged duct and so a couple of days after i was diagnosed he was like but this could still come because it's clogged duct and i was like no this is cancer like it's cancer when you have a biopsy, I have paperwork, like, it's cancer. There's no chance that it could be anything else. And then even a couple of days after that, he said, people don't die from breast cancer. And I was like, yeah, people die from breast cancer. Right. Um, so I think it was it was just, you know, I think it, it came out of left field, and it's not something people expect. And it's, um, it's not something everyone can deal with. Um, and that I feel like has been consistent for like all my survivor friends. We we all have people that, you know, we really thought would be able to handle things that really weren't. And, you know, I have friends that didn't talk to me from when I was diagnosed and still haven't talked to me. Um, and it, I feel like it's not about me. It's really, you know, they can't handle the situation. And that isn't something that I take personally. And I just kind of move on and deal with the people who can handle the situation. No, understood. Um, and again, this is again, this is this is systemic yeah. of of going through trauma in a family, and yeah, it, it it's nothing. No one did anything wrong in terms of this happened to you, right. and you didn't ask for it, and right. you know, no one signs up for this, and you know, it's 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 not uncommon. I I do want to talk about your you know, your kind of reawakening when you discovered that there was a support community for people your age. And how did that first yeah, come that about in Colorado? Um, so I, the way my treatment went was kind of um, unusual because when I didn't respond to chemo, they changed my chemo meds and I didn't respond to the second cocktail. So we went to surgery right away. Um, and then I only got a four week break and I went back on chemo. Um, so I had my surgery in, in the middle, basically, of chemo. Um, and then I had a three-week break, break to recover from chemo before I started radiation. And just by happenstance, that's when OMG um, 2013 was held. And I found out about it two weeks before the conference. And um, so I just bought tickets and went by myself. And that was the first time I met anybody uh, my age um, and it was really amazing for me um, I signed up to volunteer uh, because knowing that I wasn't going to know anybody I figured that would be the best way to make some friends right away Right. Um, so I volunteered 
um, from within an hour of when I got to the hotel, I was volunteering and I probably met 200 people that first night. Right. Um, so that helped a lot. But when I kind of got done volunteering and went out onto the floor, it was like, oh, I can sit with like all these tables. I recognize all these people and sure. I just kind of mingled around and, um, that was the first time I realized too, I had always heard about really having a bond with, you know, other survivors and people who've been through trauma. Um, and that was the first time that I realized that's a real thing. You know, I felt very bonded to people, um, as soon as I really started talking to them. And I think I had been so desperate for so long to meet other people and know people my age that it was just amazing for me. Um, and I definitely came home very changed from that. And because you are a glutton for punishment, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have signed up to be on the steering committee for CancerCon, which is the new ONG Cancer Summit. I have. And what's yep. that been like to take a leadership role? How do you feel about that? Um, it's been good. I um, I was on the um, welcome committee at the um, OMG last year, 2014, and um, just got like a little taste of, um, you know, doing some extra things. And I really enjoyed that. And um, I don't know, I always looked at the steering committee and was like, man, those people are really like putting this together and it's an amazing thing. And um, I really like it. We... Um, you know, we have calls every couple of weeks and they'll get more frequent as we get closer. But it's nice to um, kind of have some input on what's going on and really get excited for what everybody's going to experience. And of course, I see it through kind of the rose colored glasses of my first experience. And I can't wait for people to like come and meet all these people and just have kind of a realization that I did that you're not alone. And just to come full circle on your story, it has been two and a half years and change. Mm -hmm. um, where are you at medically? Um, I am doing well right now. My um, It's really weird. Some of my um, cancer markers have been elevated, uh, which we can't figure out why. So I've had a lot of testing um, the past year, but um, they, they haven't found anything. So they think that I just have some high markers. Um, I did move over to university and I see Dr. Borges. She runs the Young Women's Clinic uh, University and I, I really like her. She does very close and intense follow-up care. Um, but I'm still doing reconstruction. I, uh, like I said, I had another surgery a couple weeks ago and um, I think I have three more surgeries. So that is definitely more in-depth than I realized it would be. Um, but this last surgery finally put me in a place where I can kind of see where we're going and feel a little bit more normal, and um, that's good because I didn't really think I'd ever feel normal at all. So, um, And I was okay with that. You know, I felt like this is just the way it is, and that's what I've got. But um, it's nice to actually go through the full reconstruction process. I think a lot of people don't do that, and that um, – Kind of, even though it's a lot of surgeries, you know, you really are never comfortable with yourself. Um, and I feel like I'm more comfortable every surgery, so that's good. Um, I did get diagnosed with PTSD after my treatment, um, so I go to a lot of therapy. Um, but that has been helping me a lot, and I really, I feel like I'm doing pretty well now. 
Jen, I can't thank you enough for your courage and coming on the show and sharing your story. We're, we are thrilled and honored that you're part of the SNR committee, and you are, you're, you're the consummate example of why we exist, and, and it's just been such a pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you. Um, yeah, yes. thank you so much. All right, Jen Ficus, uh diagnosed about two and a half years ago with triple negative and basal ductal carcinoma. She's still here. She's fighting a good fight, and she's amazing. Jen, thanks for joining us on the Stupid Cancer Show. Thank you. All right, Kenny, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matt, we have like 17 meetups happening in the next two weeks alone. That's crazy. I'm going to roll through them like Johnny Cash. Uh, Rochelle Park, New Jersey, Davis, California, New York, New York, Orlando, Florida, Raleigh, North Carolina, Anaheim, California, Mountain View, California, Tuckwilla, Washington, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Denver, Cheyenne, Colorado Springs, Boulder, Fort Collins, San Diego, St. Louis, Egan, and Houston. That's crazy. That's crazy. All righty. Cancer is lonely. We got a cure for that. Yes, we're talking about Instapeer, our free mobile app that brings instant anonymous one-to-one peer support for anyone affected by cancer. Check out instapeer.org and sign up to join our beta testing community. All right, we launched a newsfeed aggregator on Pinterest for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive. We're proud to announce cancermademebroke.com, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Visit cancermamiebroke.com and learn more to start your own personal fundraiser today. It's always a good time to stock up on Stupid Cancer Gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org anytime and stay nice and cool with all new products and styles to choose from. We've also got an awesome skateboard. And don't forget about Flip, the Cancer Bird, our latest plushy, plushy mascot. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that is your Stupid, stupid Cancer, cancer News. news. Italia Ricci, Canadian-born actress who stars in the groundbreaking ABC Family series Chasing Life, won us over as April Carver, a smart and quick-witted aspiring journalist who is diagnosed with leukemia, returning champion to the Stupid Cancer Show and fierce young adult cancer activist Italia Ricci. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Welcome back to the uh, Stupid Cancer Show, one of our favorite guests of all time. I'm so excited to be back. You guys are awesome. No, it's great. It's great. Uh, you've been on a bit of a break since uh, season one, part one, and we had the the Christmas special, which was the it took place in May. We can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now uh, season one, part two, and you've been renewed for season two. Nothing but we good have. news. Yeah, it's crazy. I sometimes just wake up and I'm like, what? How did I? I'm the luckiest girl ever. So let's recap uh, season one, part one, where it all began. Um, okay. April Carver. Tell us all about April Carver. April Carver is a 20, I think she was 23 or 24 when this show started, uh, year old girl who wants to be a journalist, and she's working at a low level. She's a floater at the Boston Post, 
and she's finally getting her first assignment and the guy that she's had a crush on for a while is finally noticing her and asking her out and then um, she, she to get a story she sneaks into a blood drive gives blood her uncle's there he's a doctor he tests the blood and she he finds out she has leukemia so her whole life is sort of spun on a, a different um, axis and then she finds out she has a secret sister because her dead dad had an affair um, <laughs> it just sounds so ridiculous when you put it all together like that right um, and so we left her going through her first round of chemo. Uh, she's since broken up with said uh, cute guy from work because she fell for or slept with um, said cute, cute guy, guy from cancer. From cancer. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, the, her love life is in limbo. We left it with a cute guy from support group Leo on an operating table flatlining. Right, and and apparently there's been a lot of time that takes place between the Christmas episode in May and season one, part two. Yes, it's I think four months. So, are we going to see April lost her hair uh, during yeah, the? Yeah, you saw that in the Christmas episode. Yep, and I just want to take a break here for a second to focus on that because we talked about this uh, the last time you were on the show and at the OMG Summit in New York that you spoke yes. at. Um, the raging debate amongst uh, the viewers of the show from our community was always that you didn't look sick enough. And right, but the, you don't have to look sick to be sick. No, exactly. So the, the people who um, didn't lose their hair and had chemo and loved the show were thrilled that you didn't lose your hair from chemo right away. <laughs> and then the people that were bald were pissed that you didn't lose it right away, but were thrilled that you finally did. Yeah. So you covered every oh, base possible. As many people as we can. <laughs> All right. So uh, tell us what we can expect uh, without revealing too much. Um, April, it, it, a little uh, pixie cut, perhaps, getting started? Yeah. Well, you'll see her hair starting to grow back. So um, I couldn't shave my head. I wanted to um, and then have it grow back with, with the show because we shoot out of order. Like, we go to Boston every 10 episodes and shoot scenes that are outside from the previous 10 so it would have just been a huge it, it would have been impossible anyway so we have about five different wigs of different lengths that we used for april's hair to start growing back after uh, she's lost it so there's some very cute pixie cuts there's some very cute hair accessories and, and hats and and bows and and stuff i got to have a lot of fun with that actually and and i i'm sure the audience can relate that has had, had gone through that, whether or not, you know, and it starts with her wearing a wig that looks similar to the hair that she lost because she's not sure um, how, well, she's not very comfortable with her bald head at all. And I think there was a clip release that, you know, she's with her family and they're telling her you can take it off at home and she's just not, not feeling that at all. So you get to see what sort of gives her the, the balls, so to speak, to, uh, to bear it all. Right, and you had a quote on, with E.T. online, uh, the paranoia of cancer is going to come back. Clearly, it is the gift that keeps on giving that you are yeah. fully versed in having submerged yourself into our community. Your world changed on a dime. That can happen for anyone at any point. And she's terrified. How is it now, you know, you so eloquently put um, quite frequently that you have the privilege of turning off the cancer, but now that the yeah. character is sort of post-treatment and perhaps post-traumatic how does that change the way you approach this situation for april well I, I mean it went from from being a normal girl being you know 
another version of myself to the nightmare that she was living with trying to deal with that and then she's such a control freak that she she can't deal with not knowing and you know so all of these little things that somebody who maybe never experienced um dealing with cancer or any any illness really has would overlook you know like a like you know you bump into a cabinet and you get a bruise and you don't know is that bruise really from the cabinet or is the cancer back have I relapsed and it just it sort of consumes all of your thoughts and and it, it makes it hard for you to to completely enjoy yourself or what you're doing or pay attention to anything when you're constantly scared that this this jackass is going to come back into your life Right. And uh, you have a wonderful working relationship with your co-stars who I had the privilege of meeting many of um, recently uh, last last se- uh, season, I believe. Um, how has the r- relationship grown now that the show is, you know, you, the, you there's no longer like a finish line. There's only like more road ahead to continue to grow together. What's that going to look like for you? Well, I mean, just because, you know, you've you're in remission doesn't mean the fight is over and. And I think that ABC Family has done a fantastic job of, of letting us show that in a very real way, just like they let us show what dealing with being diagnosed in the early stages of, of fighting cancer is like their star training soup. Um, and so my approach to April is just sort of letting ABC Family take the lead by telling the story and then just me sort of, I haven't talked to as many people with, with uh talking about sort of the the anxiety and all of that stuff but um i feel like the way that i've built april with the community that i've that i've the support that i've had sort of helped this she just the story tells itself um with a lot of the and a lot of the things that happened i was like there's no way this really happened and then people would come up and the writers would be like oh yeah that happened to a friend of mine and um you yeah like one in particular i don't know if you guys personally relate or know somebody who relates is is the strain that it puts on the friendship with their best friend because they've always been there for one another and Beth has been a fantastic support system for April through all this and now that she's out she thinks that you know they both think that they can get back to normal and then you know it's the physical aspect where she can't you know go out and have a drink at night because she's exhausted and and then it just constantly still becomes all about April and and then it comes down to her being so worried about relapse that it does it does stress out their friendship and and it was something that I never considered and I thought I'd you know been pretty well versed once I jumped into the whole community and and this was something that really shocked me and I was really you know heartbroken during the scenes that we had to shoot that dealt with that and and so I'm I'm interested to see how the audience um, the audience reacts to that and feels about it. Hi, Talia. It's Mallory. Um, I have. Hey. Hi. Um, so I have a question. You mentioned some of the challenges that she faces, like her with her relationships. Are there other any other challenges that sort of took you by surprise, or that were a little bit more difficult to get into the character? Um, I'm trying to think. We finished shooting in August, so I'm like, I don't have all of that. Remember, damn it, of my mind. I know, phantom chemo brain. Right. Um, I feel like the, well, there are a lot of uh, other scares with not just her, but the people in her support group going into remission. And um, so that was that was a whole new level of, of anxiety above her own personal 
um, fear of, of relapsing. So there is that that where you have to consider the other people in your life and how how scared they must have been the, this whole time, and she just never considered that. And then you've got all of the family drama, Natalie, um, Natalie being a possible donor. So what happens with that? And then you know whether how Brenna deals with her being a donor or not being a donor. And then there's you know dealing with what had happened to Leo, and then dealing with what is currently happening with Dominic. And there's just so much going on that would already be so intense for a 24 year old girl. But then to put having just survived cancer and the fear of relapse of cancer on top of all of that is just I just felt like she was a lot heavier this half of the season like the things she were she was doing felt lighter because it's like you know when I'm reading the script it's not a lot of like bawling intense scenes it was more it was like the in the back of your mind all of this worry that isn't on paper had to exist for the the, the winter season no, well said. I want to talk about the social footprint, because when the show started, you know, it, it was a risk, right? We didn't know what was going to happen, and oh, totally. I think you only had, what, 11 people on Instagram? And now <laughs> you're coming up on 100,000 people on Instagram. The show is coming up on almost a million people on Facebook. Um, there, there's a really? Sign- yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, ABC Family alone has like 3 million people or 4 million people now. Oh, so, yeah. I think the show's catalyzed a lot of the relationship. Yeah, Kenny just pointed that out. So Chasing Life just hit 615,000 from nothing, you know, in six months, which is pretty good. Yeah, um, that's insane. So we're really hitting the gas. You know, we're, we're starting in like, you know, in, in third gear already with a whole community and that much more influence. Um, I mean, by the way, I love the pictures. Of, is that the dog? Whose dog is that that you keep hosting? Oh, the ones from Christmas? My yeah. mom got into Christmas. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, Are you insta-stalking me right now? I, it, ten, sometimes, maybe. <laughs> maybe Robbie, too, but that's okay. Uh, so, yeah, so in terms of, like, there's a lot of responsibility now to manage the people that have become your fans because of the show. Is there, like, a learning curve there from, like, do you get social media, like, like, training? Is Like, how do you govern and manage? Yeah, yeah. they do. They give us training courses and help us and if we ever have if we're ever curious how to deal with something their abc family has a great publicity team and we had you know security guys come in and talk about what you can and can't post when you can and or what you should and shouldn't post uh when you should and shouldn't post them and so it was a lot to take in and it was right before we started filming so i was already like whirling that we'd been picked up and all of this and so i was like this, like i'm listening to them now there's no way that people are going to care that much about what I'm doing. And now it's like, okay, this is still crazy though. I still feel like the only person that watches it is my mom like, <laughs> in my own head. You know, like I just can't believe that I'm doing something this powerful for people and this, this important. And I'm so proud of it, but it's still, I still have to shake my head and it, it's, I still just don't believe it. Right. And, and you're like the it girl. Now you've been all over the news. The just Jared piece that you, you posted, I was reading that and, I mean, they're doing a great job getting you the exposure and the platforms to to be yourself, but to talk about the show. Um, yeah. Uh, Mallory had a question here. Are we allowed to ask about Leo's status, or is that a mystery for the uh, debut well, of season two? What okay. Before. Okay. Good. Um, <clears throat> and oh, you you had a BuzzFeed article too. I didn't. Yeah, I, that just came out. I think like an hour ago. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. It's That's like why I haven't seen it yet. List nineteen things to do in your twenties. 
Oh, perfect. Is one of them go to CancerCon or drink with Kenny? <laughs> no. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was not. No. Um, I am employed by ABC Family. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I know I've asked this question in the past, but it, it goes without saying. You know, you've learned so much as a healthy 20-something about the fragility of life and the reality checks that so many of us have to deal with. You know, what have you done personally, if anything at all, to change your behavior or have your friends and family uh, been influenced by the show and by your character and the way you've addressed this issue to make different changes in your lifestyle? And has that influenced other people? Um, I don't know if I, if I necessarily feel like I've personally influenced the people around me. I definitely know that they're proud of me, but my life, I've been able to learn from the show and from you guys and from the community and everybody is I've really learned to to pick my battles you know I've, I've looked at things with the stakes as high as what would matter if I was diagnosed with cancer tomorrow what really would matter to me what deserves my energy and then I'm able to sort of filter what is existing in my world through that um, through April's sort of filter that I've borrowed and, and used in my own world. So I'm grateful for that. And uh, I'm sure that that has affected the people around me because, you know, I'm not sweating the small stuff. And so I've, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I'm, I feel a little bit ashamed that it took me having to be sort of knees deep in, in this community to see that it's something that, you know, I don't know how I can help promote everybody looking at things that way because unless you're sort of in it it's really hard to actually see the big picture and even though I know I'm not actually in it I've been able to borrow sort of April's glasses and take a look through them which I've, I've really I'm grateful for Brian everything in Mick moderation correct of course of course there's no like I'm not all of a sudden you know eating super healthy obviously I've, every other post is about McDonald's and <laughs> it's not like I'm I'm going out and, and trying to be the perfect person and live my life perfectly. Nobody's perfect. April's not perfect. No, of course not. I'm not. I can't transform who I am. I am exact. I'm still me, but I've just been able to use these, use April's glasses, I'll keep calling them, to, yeah. to filter out the things that don't deserve my energy and the things that deserve all of it or, you know, being able to uh, distribute my energy better. Right, and I'd even go out on a limb and say that the 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 magnifying glass is is uh, you know period the the um, the stress test of of the core community that would judge April and you personally because we're stupid Americans sometimes is over. You know, you, I think you really successfully prove personally and professionally through the character that you can you can you know you you prove that this is someone viable that we can relate to, and who is aware of and sympathetic to the issues that are portrayed through her experience on the show. Um, right. So, and I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, it's a relief because you never know if that's going to work out or not. Right. And, you know, when I'm eating McDonald's or I'm laying outside in the sun, it's like, can I, can I post about this? Is it going right. to make me look bad? Like yeah. I'm, I'm advocating all of these, these great causes, but now I don't want to be a hypocrite or, you know, something like that. But at the same time, I still want to be me as if, you know, I would. I'm sure I'd be a much worse person had I not book <laughs> chasing life because it's definitely helped me sort of set up bumpers. But, but I have. You know, some people in, that I've been around have been like, no, 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 don't worry about that. Completely separate yourself. But I can't. I don't. 
I don't know if I will. I just right now I still feel so connected to April and I feel I'm so connected to the community and the fans and I disappointing them is like one of my top three fears. No, and yeah, and we're horrible, by the way, just in general. We're like well, worse. maybe you personally, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, you you really do have to be yourself, and I wouldn't I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about Instagramming a picture on the beach. You know, it, it, you know, haters gonna hate anyway, and I think you're past that. And and it, it just the fact that there is so much anticipation for the season one part two, and and the public knows now that it's gonna keep going, and the momentum is gonna keep being there. Um, what do you hope to see as far as the impact of the show? Uh, I mean, we, we already know the impact it's had and the, the messages created. But where can April possibly go in terms of, you know, it's now she's living with and beyond cancer, correct? Right. It's, I think it, outside of the cancer, the show has always been about um, just never giving up hope. And always, you know, fighting for what you want and surrounding yourself with, with healthy, productive, loving people that are going to that are gonna keep you who you are, regardless of the situation that you're in. So I hope that the show helps to do that. But it also helps you to remember not to take everything too seriously, you know. And, and I feel like the main thing that I wanted people to take away from the show before it started was just the awareness that, that you know, young adults with cancer exist and much more frequently than you think. So we've, I think that we've done a really good job, job of that, but I want to sort of maintain that, that awareness. I don't want to be like, okay, now they all know, let's move on to teaching them something else. It's, you know, this, the first sort of bit of the season was people who have, or young adults who have cancer or any people in general, but mainly them, they exist. And now it's, they could they could be 25 years old and have beaten cancer already so now their lives are like this so when you see them and they're healthy they're still dealing with all of these things these still exist so on the on the health side of it that's what i hope people take away and on the on the sort of norm not normal on the just the you know mid-20s life side from april i hope they take away that it's it's just no matter what's happening to you, just never lose sight of your dreams, never give up on the people you love, and and don't be afraid to make mistakes. All right, so let's take the next couple of minutes to, to talk about you. Uh, what is that monster Kickstarter little puppet thing you got going on there? The <laughs> Love a Monster. a short film. A little short film that I'm doing with Scott Michael Foster, who plays Leo on the show. Um, just a little story that we, well, he came across and asked me if I wanted to do, and it's about love, and and it sort of puts a face to love, a sort of hideously cute face. And <laughs> it's sort of an enchanting little story about how this monster lives and dies by the emotions of, of humans. And, and so we're actually kind of secondary characters. It's not really about us. It's about what we do that, that affects this monster. And I just, I just watched it, and I read the script, and it just felt so charming and sweet and... Um, yeah, I'm in like whimsical, so I, of course I'd love to. I'd love to play. I, I love working with him. So the more I get to, the great, the, the better. And uh, what else do you have on the horizon for yourself? You got any movies coming out? Are you uh, shooting stuff besides? Uh... Um, I believe on the 27th of this month, the remaining comes out on DVD. Uh, nice. It's a Sony, Sony Affirm film, um, and it's about a group of friends who are trying to survive the end of the world but the twist on this is that the end of the world in this movie is 100% biblically accurate 
Ah. So if, you know, if the world were to end according to the Bible, this is what it would look like. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with the Old Testament over the New Testament. Okay. <laughs> um, and I guess, you know, just you're well, you're engaged, things are good for you overall. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, I'm in it. I'm actually really just like, I feel so useless right now because I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm just dying to go back to work. I mean, I'm doing, you know, charity and um, I'm spending more time at Children's Hospital because I have the time right now. So I'm getting to know people there a little bit better, which is amazing and always a good time. And, and just, I never want to leave once I'm there. But as you said, I am engaged. So somebody else does need me. Yes, um, yes. Well, so, yeah, I'm just, we're just spending time together because who knows what he's going to have come up. And so like last year when I was shooting, he was in Vancouver the whole time. So that was tough. So we're sort of just soaking it up now. Well, again, it's been it's always a pleasure to interview you, and I, I can't wait to see you again. We we hope things work out where you guys can come I to. I know our, I can't yeah. unofficially wait for cancer. Fund. I know we're 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 all unofficially waiting for the unofficial, uh, unofficial <laughs> uh, go, go that you'll be there. Um, but uh, ABC uh, Family Chasing Life uh, airs uh, Mondays at nine p.m. Eastern on ABC Family. It's gonna be a hell of a ride. We're really looking forward to seeing what what comes of this and. Even beyond the the amazing characters and the storyline, um, how the public continues to absorb what the message really is. Mm-hmm. Thank uh, you, guys. No, thank you so much, uh, Italia Ricci. Always a pleasure. Uh, good luck, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye, guys. All right, bye, bye. All righty, uh, that is, uh, I think that's our show. Anything else going on, guys? Nothing? Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, with that said, I guess it is now time for our, uh, our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 334th episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, Jen Fickus, right? <laughs> and Atiyah Ricci, the lovely and talented Atiyah Ricci. All right, reminder, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity that comprehensively addresses young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. If you haven't already, visit stupidcancershow.org. And never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the feeds on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Coming to you from the Chemo Deck, and on behalf of myself and our great team, Kenny Keynes, Mallory Rivera, and Sean Shapiro, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next broadcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks.